you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Will you join me in prayer, please? Take my lips, O Lord, and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Amen. Well, let me start by telling you all Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I don't think that's been said yet. I I don't know what you do at the beginning of the new year, but I like to, I have a practice. I don't set New Year's resolutions. I gave up that a couple of years ago. But I like to take some time and think back over the things that that I've learned over the course of the year or before and think about how I can apply those things. So I thought I might share some information with you today, just like last week, free of charge. You're welcome. Well, first... This is a new thing that's come about. Did you know that we have found out what the three magis did for a living when they weren't bringing gifts to Jesus and looking at stars? It turns out they were firefighters. And I know scholars will want to know how I know that, so it says it in your Bible, they came from afar. So, you're welcome. It's true story, true story. True story. My friends are probably so tired of hearing that same joke every Christmas. <laughs> Tidbit number two. Now, you might want to write the, this one down on the back of your bulletin. Baking soda and baking powder are apparently not the same thing. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know, because at the beginning of the pandemic, I didn't. You see, I've always considered myself to be a halfway decent cook. And in the beginning of the pandemic, it was that time that, you know, everybody was bored. Nobody had anything to do. I know a lot of people did puzzles, and and they would post pictures of their puzzles. My favorite thing to do was to get on Facebook and watch all of the cooks. So, I mean, everybody started pulling their iPhones out in their homes and, and filming themselves cooking different things. And my favorite was Paula Dean. I logged on every day to see what she was making. But during this time, I fell in love with a southern grandma from Andalusia, Alabama, Brenda Gant. And I don't know if you've ever heard of her. Brenda became famous by setting her iPhone on the top of a quick oats canister and filming herself making foods with items that she had in stock. Her lesson for us was that you could do anything with what you had at your home. You could make any recipe. So on this particular day, she was making peanut butter cookies, and I had everything I needed, I thought, to do this. However, it turns out, once I got busy, that peanut butter cookies needed baking powder. I only had baking soda. But hey, the lesson was you can do with what you have at home. So I gave it a try. You'll be sorry to learn that the cookies turned out to be little puddles, and baking soda and baking powder, it was learned, do not work the same way. Next, I've also learned that when Chad thinks you should do something and he really feels it, he will not leave you alone until you do it. (laughs) Chad first started asking me to come to Andover 
I, I thought it was two years, but then I started thinking this morning, I think it was th three because it's, it's been a while. It was during our DI class, our discipleship intensive. I had come to Wilmore uh, to complete an MDiv at Asbury, and while there, I realized that I actually felt called in a different way. So I went back to teaching, and Chad began to encourage and stand beside me in this new move, and he wanted to know how he could help me, how he could support me. So he finally started asking, Darren, will you please come to Andover? I need some help with the children, and, and there's different ways that you can serve there. And so from that time, and every other time over the course of the next three years, I quickly responded, no. Lots of times. Then during the COVID shutdown, I began to run around the campus of Andover daily. The pastor from my, own, my home church in Ohio had taught me the spiritual discipline of praying while running. When you run, simply pray for things that pop into your mind. Peoples whose home you pass, churches that you pass. At the time, I lived in the apartments down on Hayes Boulevard, and this was right on my running trail. And so every day as I would pass Andover, I would simply pray, God, make your love known to and move through the people of Andover. Little did I know, over a year later, here I would be. Now, on a more serious note, another life lesson that I've learned, however, is, and it became magnified, is that humans need community and they need hope. I think I always knew this, but, but boy, did it become clear after our world began to experience COVID, a world that literally showed us what isolation felt like. Community and hope were hard to be seen, but they were the driving forces of our life and, and the momentum that was supposed to be keeping us going, community and hope. That's what, I felt of, that's what I thought of while reading today's passage from Jeremiah. You see, Jeremiah was called at what the Bible tells us was a young age to do a very hard mission. Throughout all these chapters leading up to today's Old Testament lesson, Jeremiah has pleaded with the people of Israel and Judah to turn their hearts and lives back to God. Otherwise, the consequence, God said, was clear. Babylon was going to come in and take over. He tells them exactly what it was that had been happening that God was displeased with and begs them to turn. Specifically, he calls out the worship of idols and their social justice practices. The priests, kings, and prophets are not caring for the vulnerable members of the community, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants. The Bible even tells us that the people were so turned off and had no guilt that they couldn't even blush Society was deteriorating economically, politically, and spiritually. Wars and captivity dominated the world scene. Jeremiah's heart broke so much for his home and people that he even earned the nickname, the Weeping Prophet. This is all a great setting for a Hallmark movie, right? But then we get to today's Old Testament reading, and we get a glimpse of restoration and of hope the people have been scattered, yet God proclaims that, that he will be the God of Israel and they will be his people. Jeremiah's good news from God is that God is going to bring all the people back together someday. They're going to go through hard times, but there is hope and there is a promise. Listen again to what Jeremiah relays from God. 
For I will bring them from the north and from the distant corners of the earth. I will not forget the blind or the lame, the expectant mothers and women in labor. A great company will return. Tears of joy will stream down their faces, and I will lead them with great care. A community, all brought together, full of messy and vulnerable people, people that have been through a lot. I hope that sounds familiar to you. A community all brought together, full of vulnerable people, the ones who remember just a little bit ago in the story were not being taken care of. This theme of God bringing everyone together at the right time is a theme we hear echoed in each of our scripture readings this morning and time and time again throughout all of scripture. We hear it in the psalm. He sends peace across the nation. The psalm talks about all of these things coming into being because God brings them, but then he brings everything back into order. We hear it in the New Testament reading. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth, for he makes everything work according to his plan. And we hear the struggle and hope echoed again in our gospel lesson. God came into the world he created, but the world did not recognize him. And his own people rejected him. Yet, to those who believe, he has given the right to become children of God, for he is full of unfailing love and faithfulness. This, friends, is hope. This is the good news. God has brought us all together, and we have a right to all God has to offer to us simply because we believe. He's already done the work. We're called to be a community, brought together in hope to help bring the kingdom of God right here to earth just as it is in heaven. We need community and we need each other. Over the past couple of years, I've fallen in love with the work of Dr. Brene Brown. Her name might sound familiar to you. Um, maybe you've read her books, but she kind of entered the world stage by giving a TED Talk on vulnerability, which exploded and then went viral. She has also done a lot of work on belonging and how important it is to belong to a community. She gives insight to how research on belonging has just recently become what is considered important work. What researchers have found, and I'm citing and trusting Brene on these statistics, is that the lack of belonging results to loneliness rising and where there is loneliness, a lack of hope. I know that many of us, myself included, can sometimes think that a feeling of loneliness can be ridiculous and fixed easy. But she reminds us that, that that work is not right. We have to work on this intentionally. Brene cites that loneliness is a greater predictor of death than of smoking, high consumptions of alcohol, and obesity. She points out that, that we have really, over the last 40 years, separated ourselves into factions. We live with, worship with, and hang out with people who think like us. We want to feel like we belong in the circles we're a part of because we want to be surrounded by people who think like we do. Renee, however, suggests that we're not doing this at all. 
She says that in an effort to be with people who believe in what we believe in, we actually just surround ourselves with people who hate the same people that we hate, which is causing more and more separation of community and a rise in loneliness. She likes to call this common enemy intimacy. And she urges us to instead be intentional about surrounding ourselves with people who aren't like us, for she suggests this is where the growth happens and where great things are accomplished. When we are compassionate, accepting, loving, willing to listen and work together with people who don't share every view we share, we accomplish more good. We all know that if I were to bring up a controversial buzz topic and I pass the microphone around, we would probably have as many different views and opinions on the topic as we have people in the room. So then why do we gather together? Why do we come here? Why do we find it important to, as Brene says, pass the peace with people on Sunday who we might like to punch the rest of the week? Because we all share at least one thing. We have been brought together from all walks to be connected and held together in the love and compassion of God. I read an autobiography one time by Dr. Robert Schuller, and many of you might recognize him as the pastor who preached every Sunday from the church he founded known as the Crystal Cathedral. In his book, Dr. Schuller tells of one heated board meeting he was in while talking about, get this, trees. They were having this meeting that half of the room wanted to plant these trees that were expensive all around the campus in the perimeter of the Crystal Cathedral grounds, so to beautify the campus for all generations to come. While the other half of the room thought it was ridiculous to spend so much money to plant trees one, finally, one man who everyone would have expected to be on the save the money and don't plant the trees side spoke up in favor of planting the trees. He explained that night that you never plant a tree for today. We're not going to see the benefits of our work or investments, he said, but future generations will. He had hope in the future of the church. He had hope in the mission that they were on and that it would outlast even him. You see, that night it was someone with a different view than the majority who helped that team see the presence of God and the mission that would be going on long after. My favorite reality of hope from this Old Testament text for us is that God is going to bring everyone together. He's going to bring the outsiders, people from the north, people from every corner of the earth. He even specifically mentions, as he said earlier, the blind and the lame, which is important to note because at the time the thought was if you were blind or lame, it was a result of sin. It was your own fault. They were subpar, but God remembered and included them. This is our promise and this is our hope. Just as our gospel lesson promises you, no matter the past, no matter your faults, no matter your struggles, you have been drawn in by God gathered to this community by no accident, gathered to love each other, to work with each other, to be partners in Christ's work with each other. God loves you. He remembers you. To the person here who doesn't feel good enough, 
God remembers you. God loves you. Welcome home. To the widow or the widower who feels alone, especially in this holiday season, God remembers you. Welcome home. To all those going through hard times, no matter what that time may be, God remembers you. Welcome home. To the person outcasted because of who they are, God remembers you. Welcome home. God's promise wasn't that he was going to bring all of these people together and then leave them. He promised to be with them, to watch over them like a shepherd does his flock. His promise was to turn their mourning into joy so that all sorrows would be gone. We know, we believe, we have hope that God walks with us every day. His presence is with us through the Holy Spirit, and none of this is illustrated more perfectly than it is with communion. We share in a meal that, that countless people have shared in since Jesus first offered the bread and cup to his disciples at the Last Supper. People who have come to the table from every walk of life to live into the same community that we come to live into today. You see, in the United Methodist Church, we believe that, that this is God's table, not ours. In a minute, you'll hear the words, Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. We don't get to pick who comes to the table and who doesn't. All are welcome, for all are loved and remembered by God. Friends, God remembers you. God wants you. God loves you. This is the source of our hope. Thanks be to God.